Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Commonwealth Games will not be coming to Hamilton in 2030. Interested in becoming a volunteer firefighter in the city? There's some good news for black business owners in Hamilton. Soupfest is returning to the convention center in a couple of weeks. And can The Last of Us happen in real life? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. There's a lot going on in the world of sports uh, with with FIFA and post pandemic. So you know we certainly understand that um, you know that there's you know conflicting priorities. That is Hamilton 100 bid committee spokesperson PJ Mercanti following the bombshell announcement yesterday that Hamilton's quest to host the 2030 Commonwealth Games. Ended with a thud. Is this a major blow to our city? Andrea Horvath is the mayor of the city of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Madam Mayor, welcome back to the show. You supported the Commonwealth Games bid. Was this a big shock to you? Well, it uh, is a big disappointment, that's for sure. Uh, I think that these kinds of games can do a, a lot of great things for a, for a community. I was around when we hosted the cycling championships way back in the day. Uh, we got some great infrastructure projects done, and, and there was a lot of community pride and a lot of volunteerism uh, that was, uh, you know, that was a result of, uh, of those, um, those races. And so, so, yeah, there can be really great things come of these kinds of uh, activities if they're done well. And, and so, yeah, it's disappointed, disappointing that we don't have that opportunity. And I have a lot of gratitude for the folks that put their heart and souls into putting the bid together. And then, of course, you know, initially it was... Um, it was planned for earlier and then COVID hit and then it got, you know, pushed to 2030, which is uh, the 100th anniversary uh, of the Commonwealth Games in, actually here in Hamilton. And so there was a lot of really cool things uh, that I think that, um, that could have, uh, that could have resulted. Having said that, um, I don't think, you know, never say never. And, and these kinds of things uh, were not the preferred bid, but it's possible that the province could come back to the table so we'll uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed, but at this point, it's it's very disappointing. When it comes to potentially hosting future major sport or tourism events, does this development put Hamilton in a bad light? Are we are we damaged goods? Oh, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think uh, it, ultimately it was always going to be up to the province of Ontario to determine uh, whether they wanted to come on board. Uh, there's no doubt that it's an expensive proposition. Uh, and I, I, I assume that the province has got other priorities right now. Uh, but, um, I, no, I don't think that it, it causes us any kind of long standing, you know, problem in terms of our reputation at all. As you know, this bid was heavily reliant on investment from the private sector and funding from upper levels of government. Uh, how big of a missed opportunity is this in terms of not realizing those, you know, infrastructure, um, uh, projects that could have been associated with this? Well, as I said, I mean, it, it, those things are always, um, they're always helpful. You know, we have a lot of infrastructure needs, as you know. Uh, we have housing needs. We have other needs in our community, and these uh, games are often a way to help us do that. But, um, but what we still have a plan going forward to deal with our, our assets and to deal with our, uh, our needs. And, um, and that's, you know, we're just going to have to continue along that path. Um, yeah, it would have been nice uh, had we had that opportunity. Uh, to benefit from the games, but um, as I said, it's um, you know it's not over till it's over. The province might have a change of heart, 
but in the meantime, we we're just going to have to soldier away at the things that we need to get done for the people of the city of Hamilton. We only got about a minute. Are you committed to try to entice the province to change their mind? Well, this has been a bid that's been led by uh, by a community uh, collective of, of folks, right, of community leaders from the the private sector, if you will. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy to make the, the send the letters and uh, make the calls. I did raise it with the prime minister when he was here. Uh, so we'll, I, I'm wait, basically, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working from their uh, requests. You know, the, I, if you have too many people doing too many things, uh, sometimes it can create, create uh, a bit of confusion. But I certainly have been sending letters of support as, as necessary. I've mentioned it. Uh, when I've spoken to uh, people from other orders of government, and uh, I've, as, as you said, I was very supportive uh, for the entire time, including during the campaign, because I, I have seen the benefits of these kinds of activities. So we'll uh, we're just going to keep on working together to see where we can where we can end up. Ms. Horvath, we'll have to leave it there. We're plumb out of time, but I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. My pleasure, Rick. Take care. That is Andre Horvath, the mayor of the city of Hamilton, commenting on the 2030 Commonwealth Games not coming to this city. Uh, there is, I guess, the, the door is open just a wee crack, just a wee crack in terms of P.J. Mercanti's comments on how it, it doesn't look good. They're going to regroup. And hey, if the province change its mind, we'll be right back at the table it doesn't sound like the odds are in their favor, but we'll continue to follow this story in the days and weeks and who knows, months ahead. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Commonwealth Games on the lips of many today, and rightfully so. Huge bombshell dropped yesterday that Hamilton is not going to host the 2030 Commonwealth Games. It's the focus of our Twitter poll question today at AM900CHML. Are you happy about this? Are you mad about this? Are you indifferent? At AM900CHML is the place to go. 49% say they're glad. 43% say, meh, I couldn't care less. And 8% are mad. They're upset at this latest development. You can text me your thoughts on this topic, 905-645-3221. Got a text from Dean who says, glad the Commonwealth Games are not coming to Hamilton. You can also send me an email, rick at 900chml.com. It was, as I said, a bombshell of an announcement yesterday. Our bid team is unfortunately going to cease operations, you know, until such time that circumstances warrant and the province reconsiders you know, we'll be open-minded to reviving the efforts. But as of today, our bid operations, uh, you know, will stop. That is PJ Mercanti, the leader of the Hamilton 100 Bid Committee and the spokesperson of that um, group that was trying to bring these games to Hamilton, and it just did not work out. The Commonwealth Sport Canada group said, uh, listen, Hamilton, you're no longer Canada's preferred candidate. Um, there are some people who are happy about this. As you can see in the poll results, some people are quite upset. Greg Dunnett is the president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and is here to join us to offer his thoughts on this topic here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Greg, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. What was your reaction when uh, you heard the announcement yesterday? Uh, you know, I think, you know, I just want, first and foremost want to say, you know, the team at Hamilton 100, they, they really need to be commended for even thinking about a project as big and bold as this that's i you know so that's where i'm disappointed for them and for our city i think it was a really ambitious initiative and it was 
really going to be a showcase to celebrate the city that we all get to call home. I look at it on from a few folds as just it would have helped to showcase the continued build out of our downtown. We've got this entire downtown revitalization going on. This would have had an incredible economic impact. And I think from that perspective, it's a lost opportunity to showcase our city and to really have another city building project going on that was going to help, you know, there's public housing in the bed and infrastructure investments of several parks in our community. And then I think too, you know, and my background is in sports entertainment, but we're continue. This would have been another uh, step in building Hamilton's profile as a tourism destination, not just on the national scale, but on the international scale. Uh, we've been able to host big events and concerts like Blackpink. We've got the Grey Cup coming back. We've got the Canadian Open coming. And this would have just been another chance to profile our awesome city, uh, which we had that opportunity with the Pan Am Games. And I think we saw, you know, I think it's a pretty there's strong evidence that the economic impact to throughout our city was there for that event. So I'm disappointed. Um, you know, I, I listen in to PJ there We're we're, we're, you know, maybe, maybe the door's not completely slammed, even though they've shut down operations, but I think we just have to take that wait and see approach. And, but at the moment, disappointed. This is, uh, you know, an event that would have been held seven years from now. But even so, whenever you were speaking to a local business owner or, or a business um, network or just a, you know, the, the the group of businesses in town, were they excited about the possibilities that these games could potentially bring to the city? Yeah, I, I think we always see that ripple effect throughout the community when the events like this come to our city, right? If you were downtown... Last December for Grey Cup, they're, they're, all the restaurants are full for several days. And I think that's where the excitement comes in, uh, in that, you know, there's just a energy that comes into the community and there's people who wouldn't traditionally visit our city. They come here, they see all the great things we got going on. They're more likely to come back. And I think that's where the excitement, you're right, Rick. I think, uh, you know, for businesses in our community with, the labor shortages and the looming recession and the impacts of COVID and inflation there right now, I think a lot of businesses, especially small businesses are, are, are looking day to day, but opportunities like this where they, you know, they could look to something that was exciting and something that was going to help their business. They were very excited about that. I can imagine Greg, appreciate your time this morning. We'll touch base uh, for sure down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Greg Dunnett is the president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, and he makes some good points in terms of legacy. And I know, you know, this project, no major sporting event is ever perfect. But when we think of those iconic, memorable, feel-good kind of stories like the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, what a wonderful games that was. The Pan Am Games, you may not have gone to every event, but heck, we got a new stadium out of it. And that new stadium has provided us with one and soon to be two Grey Cups over the last number of years. So those types of things we're going to miss out on on not getting the 2030 Commonwealth Games. And from a sporting perspective, me being a sports fan, you know, it's, it's, it's I think, a missed opportunity as well. It's too bad. It's unfortunate. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you ever wanted to be a firefighter? Lots of people do. Have you ever felt the urge to volunteer as a firefighter here in Hamilton or wherever you live? 
Well, it sounds like not many people are answering that call, at least not to the degree that they once were. Dave Cunliffe is the chief of the Hamilton Fire Department and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Chief Cunliffe, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. This is obviously not a, a just a Hamilton problem, uh, but you have identified a great need for volunteer firefighters. How would you describe what you're having to deal with right now? Well, Rick, the, what we're dealing with in Hamilton isn't something that's uh, not happening across the province and across the country, quite frankly. So in Hamilton, we're very fortunate. We have the opportunity to use both full-time and volunteer firefighters to deliver fire service across the different communities based on the risk and the need of the community. And so uh, in our 26 fire stations that we have spread across the community, 12 of those, we have volunteer firefighters who are responding to the need. Um, a lot of these are in the rural, what I would call more of the rural type communities. So your Mount Hope, your Bembrook, your Linden, Rockton, Freelton, uh, and, and Upper Stony Creek, as well as some Lower Stony Creek folks, uh, and also in Greensville. And so What's happened is over the years, uh, the, the um, ability to have uh, folks that work and live in those smaller communities has um, dwindled a bit. Uh, some of the businesses have uh, unfortunately closed. And so folks are finding it very difficult uh, to uh, join the volunteer fire, fire service. And so one of the things that uh, we're doing is we're doing a blitz. We're looking for folks uh, that uh, want to give back to their community. The term volunteer, Rick, is a little bit uh, misleading. Uh, volunteer firefighters are paid here in the city of Hamilton. They get an hourly rate of close to $25 for responding to fire calls and uh, doing training and doing station duties. And, and again, one of the challenges we're seeing, and this is, this is uh, you know, very typical across the province, is, is it's, to be a volunteer firefighter, it's a huge commitment, not just for the person that is becoming the firefighter, but also for their family and friends. Uh, just uh, think about this. When you join the Hamilton Fire Department as a firefighter, volunteer firefighter, we need to put you through a training program of over 265 hours. Wow. And then, you know, being a volunteer firefighter, you're, you're basically on call when stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they carry a, a pager and uh, they respond. So uh, that's the other thing. And that's really part of the commitment. The, the pager can go off at any time, day or night. Uh, most of these folks obviously have other businesses that they work at. Uh, they have things going on with their family lives. And so, you know, when that pager goes off, they take a take a look at what's happening in terms of their situation and are they in a position to respond. And certainly, you know, that means potentially leaving work uh, to respond to the fire hall, leaving a family function to re respond to the fire hall, or, you know, in the middle of the night uh, getting up and responding to help their community. So, it is a huge commitment, uh, but you know what? There's a lot of people that uh, get a lot of uh, personal satisfaction in terms of being able to give back. Got 90 more seconds with Hamilton Fire Chief Dave Cunliffe here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How many vacancies do you have, and has that put a big strain on the fire department? So right now, currently across all of the 12 stations that have volunteer firefighters, we need 37 people. Uh, that really breaks down to we have eight stations across uh, the 12 that have got uh, current vacancies. Uh, we need we need folks in Upper Stony Creek as well as Lower, Lower Stony Creek and Arvin Avenue, Bimbrook, Mount Hope, uh, Greensville, uh, Linden, Rockton, and Freelton. Those are the areas that we're focusing on at the moment. How long is this blitz going on, and uh, what's the likelihood of you going to fill all those positions? Well, the blitz goes on 12 months of a year, Rick. Uh, we don't stop. It's uh, really important that we maintain a 
a viable and sustainable volunteer division. Uh, they are a key component of our ability to deliver fire service here. And so uh, we uh, have it open 12, 12 months of the year. Folks can go to the city website and uh, under employment opportunities and look at volunteer firefighter. It gives a complete description of what we're looking for and what they need to do. And uh, we're in the process right now of, of going through the applicants and we're looking, we've got a class starting in February at the end of this month. And then we're going to look to have another recruitment class uh, start training in August. Wow, exciting times and, and really an exciting opportunity for someone out there who wants to give back to their community in a big way and help out people who are in an emergency situation. And Chief Cunliffe, we wish you, wish you all the best in attracting more people to this, uh, to this position. Well, thanks very much, Rick. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to tell people about the opportunity. That is Dave Cunliffe, Hamilton Fire Department Chief. And uh, yeah, if you want to become a volunteer firefighter, go onto the city's website, fill out the application, and I'm sure Chief Cunliffe and his team will uh, eyeball your resume and your qualifications and uh, get you kick-started into that profession if uh, you do qualify. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Exciting news on the way this coming Saturday, I guess, would be the official launch of what is called the Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network. It's a new program by Empowerment Squared, and it's looking to reach various entrepreneurs and advisors in the city to register for this program. And here to talk about it is Joelle Cabasoso, the coordinator for the Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network. Joelle, this uh, enterprise, this network sounds really exciting. It is very exciting. Um, I've been working on this over the last couple of weeks because I'm still new to the program, um, but it has just been amazing. I keep asking my manager like if I can participate as well because the offerings just seem like something that I know a lot of Black business owners in the city will definitely benefit from. So how so? What are they going to find worthwhile in this network? Well, the good thing about this network is we welcome business owners of every stage, right? So if you're someone who's looking to get into entrepreneurship, but you're not quite sure what you want to do, how you want to approach it, or you have this, you know, big idea, but it's a matter of just really bringing it in and getting a business plan in place, this is the program for you. So we support those type of entrepreneurs, right? People that really need that support to get started and feel comfortable enough just launching a product or an idea. But we also, on the flip side, support entrepreneurs who have established businesses already. So if you've been in the game for a while, but you're now looking for maybe new and innovative ways to scale your business, or you're looking to add new services, this program also offers that kind of support. And it's really done in a mixture of ways. So we have the self-taught ways where there are some online programs that participants can enroll in and take themselves. But we also have workshops that are in-person and facilitated by our partners across the city of Hamilton and Windsor as well. And then participants have um, access to different business advisors and mentors who will then be able to answer questions that they might have, guide them, and refer them to any external or additional services. So again, if it's to create that business plan, if it's to, um, you know, just put some financial measures in places, or even have a website done, those are the type of 
services that alongside the business advisor, they'll be able to kind of figure out and then, um, you know, refer them to the people who can help them with those. The Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network, which you can, by the way, find online at swoben.ca. You're also looking for some mentors and advisors to participate in this program and share their information and their knowledge. How many people do you need? So right now, you know, we need as much as possible. Um, our goal is to have 75 participants overall join the program. Um, we are well on our way, but we are very much welcoming of anyone who needs that support. It's not often that on this side, right, in the Hamilton area, Niagara area, that we have these type of program. So we're really welcoming to anybody that can benefit from this, uh, from the services that we're going to be offering. So if you are a business owner, if you have an idea, this is the space for you. And if you're also someone who's been in the industry for a while and you have that expertise and you're willing to mentor or, you know, provide business advisory services, like we need you um, to come along and really just support and encourage these new businesses that are that are flourishing in the city. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Joelle Cabasoso, coordinator with the Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network. They're looking for entrepreneurs, advisors, participants to enroll in this new program that is being put on by Empowerment Squared. Again, more details online at swoben.ca. Joelle, what are some of the more common uh, roadblocks or challenges that new black business owners or would-be owners face? Um, a lot of the challenges that some of us face is one, knowing how to get started, right? Um, I think not really fully understanding the incorporation process. What does that look like? What does it mean to be a sole proprietor, to have an incorporated business? Um, and even just where to incorporate. I've had a few, um, potential participants ask me, okay, well, where do I start? Like, how do I get incorporated? So even just knowing where that information is and what would be the best type of incorporation for your business, right? If you're just going to kind of, again, be a sole proprietor, if you're going to go the full incorporation way, how do you do it? How much does it cost? So that's really one of the first challenges that Black entrepreneurs face. And then, of course, it's access to capital, right? Knowing where to access funding. Is it a grant that you're going to need? Is it having to apply for a loan? Is it getting into partnership with other businesses or other groups in order to be able to have access to that kind of money? So those are really, I would say, the main things that... Um, um, cost challenges for folks, whether you're getting started or you have an established business and now you're trying to get to the next step and just don't know how to raise that capital. It sounds like the Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network is going to be launching in grand style. And let's hope that a lot of people do sign up to become a participant, an advisor, a mentor, whatever the case is. S-W-O-B-E-N dot C-A is the website to do so and get a whole lot more information. Joelle, thanks for the information that you've shared. We'll certainly connect with you sometime down the road to get an update on how this network is doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope that, you know, the ones that need to hear this, hear this and um, contact us, they can easily reach me at my personal um, email, which is j.cabisoso at empowermentsquare.org. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that they might have. Excellent. Joelle, thanks for the time. Enjoy your day. Thank you. You too. That is Joelle Cabasoso, coordinator with the Southwestern Ontario Black Business Network, put on by Empowerment Squared. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are getting a special event once again 
later on this month. It is the 21st annual Soup Fest. It's going to be held at Hamilton Convention Center by Carmen's this coming February 28th. And joining us to talk about it is the program director at Living Rock Ministries, Karen Craig. Karen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Um, 21 years. Where has the time gone? Oh, I know. And you guys have stood with us. CHML has just been such an amazing sponsor for all those years. And, and, you know, so many people have come out. It's just an, it's an amazing event. People that didn't even think they'd like soup fell in love with soup. And it's just been, everyone looks so forward to it. Well, I've, I've been to several of these soup fests. And for anyone who doesn't like soup, they should attend Soup Fest because the soup is phenomenal. Oh, I know. Everything you taste. You're just like, you can't believe it. And then, of course, you. what happens is people network. This is a great networking event because people are so excited about the soup they just tasted. They try to, you know, they tell everybody behind them, like, come try this one. Like, it's just, it's amazing the, um, what happens on the floor. It's just, it's so much fun. It is so true. I, I was a celebrity server one year, and it, it, the the talk about this, oh, you got to try this one, all right. Now, did you try that one down over, you know, down the way? It It, it is such a great conversation piece. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, too, this is a major fundraiser for you guys. Oh, this is our big fundraiser and, you know, really critical time right now. I mean, you know, we're so excited that the city stood with us and there was pandemic funding to be a really core, you know, really critical resource for youth in the core. But, um, you know, that funding is ending and there's some really critical things that we want to sponsor and we want to retain. We've tried a lot of things. We're doing a lot more outreach, um, which is really important. Um, all summer we were reaching out to parks and um, we want to do outreach more and continue that work. Um, but, yeah, the center is hopping for sure, and we really want to um, keep these vital programs going, you know, for emotional support as well as, uh, you know, practical supports for youth, you know, 13 to 25 that are frequenting the core of our city. We want to be stay open seven days a week. You know, maybe someone's out there wants to sponsor our Sunday program because we want to be seven days a week. The youth right now can access uh, full-time, we've got our whole reception. It's a youth rep- resource center out in, in front reception as well that we've opened up with computers and laundry and, um, you know, food and connections and referral, and they can springboard into work crews. That's a really exciting thing, too. We really believe in this earn through work and learning kind of model where youth are, are earning gift cards and incentives and bus tickets and things that they need through work. I mean, all our janitorial, shipping, receiving, food services, all is supported by the youth themselves working alongside us in, you know, in inventory control and working in our, you know, rock shop and learning critical skills. And then, of course, our TriRock program uh, funded through the federal government. We've got, you know, youth going into 10 weeks, um, eight weeks of training on site and then 10 weeks with a community employer. You know, and youth really need this right now. I mean, we are seeing youth are coming and they're just, they're, they're experiencing anxiety and mental health. They're talking about, I never thought I'd get into Tri-Rock. I was sleeping all day. I was gaming all night. I was, you know, people are experiencing, you know, homelessness and couch hopping. And, and of course, we know that we have uh, substance use in our community broadly, you know, and a toxic drug supply. So just, you know, working with youth around recovery and change and then you know and a lack of confidence they've had and then here they are getting into tri rock getting a job uh getting credits for work i mean 
kids are struggling with school. So getting credits for work, we're working very closely with the school board, helping youth get credits. So, you know, if anybody has a young person out there that's struggling, I mean, definitely connect them to the rock for sure. So it's very important. And so this, this event is so important. And if I could, can I, do I got time to list the restaurants? You, you do, but let me ask you a question. By the way, we're, we're, we're chatting with Karen Craig, Program Director of Living Rock Ministries, about Soup Fest this coming up February 28th. But before we get to the restaurants, you mentioned funding being tight. Fundraising, as we know, is, is hard in general. Is there a danger that this could potentially not be a seven-day-a-week entity any longer? Well, yeah, we're not sure. Um, we're just, um, because, you know, we, we want to be uh, careful with our funds. And, yeah, so it's it's... We just, that's why I said, I said, we just need to get some of our needs out there as well at Suit Fest so people can see what some of the needs are. And, you know, there's creative companies too that are, are doing fundraising events and stuff and are, and are excited to come in and even, you know, experience the rock. So that's something that happens too. So I just, you know, maybe there's some, you know, some people that are coming in that may have, be in a position to, to support some of those things. So, you know, Soup Fest is very, very important for us. Yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, get your tickets, uh, get them now because they're going to be selling like hotcakes, and they already are. LivingRock.ca is the website to get your tickets for Soup Fest. All right, give us the list of restaurants. Wet our palate. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm so excited for them. They they make this event. So it's uh, now I haven't seen Apothecary uh, um, Kitchen, uh, Afrolicious, Baki's coming back in, Burnt Tongue, of course. Nina's, um, Chef Nina's Creative Kitchen, Flamborough Hills, Gage Park Diner, Green Machine Food Trucks, <laughs> um, Hamilton Convention Center by Carmen, uh, Kelsey's Original Rolled House, Matt um, Shala, uh, Heidi Biscotti is, is coming back, uh, Royal Botanical Gardens, Stuffed, Thirsty Cactus and Unruly Smoothies is coming in, which um, wow. people are really getting to know downtown. So, um, you know, and I, I really want to thank to uh, Grosso Hooper Law. They'll be taking your tickets as you come in. Um, they've been always part of that. Uh, they are our platinum sponsor and have stood with us from day one. So that's our uh, one of our big sponsors, Grosso Hooper Law, and we're just really, really grateful for their support and just standing with us yet again. It is. So uh, there's lots of beautiful sponsors that are coming in. Uh, we really appreciate your support, and um, yeah, and, and you're going to be voting. That's the other thing. The fun piece is voting too. Best soup, most creative soup, yes. best display, tasty heart health, and we've got a tasting panel again. These are go on our website and see our tasting panel names. These are very special people in our community that do a blind taste test, and so there they are really skilled at at doing this work and. Uh, they're, they're going to find an award soup as well. So <laughs> Absolutely. Karen, really appreciate your time. Again, anyone listening who wants to go to Soup Fest and support Living Rock Ministries, go online to livingrock.ca. Get your tickets now. Karen, uh, thanks so much. We'll see you at well, Soup thank Fest. Thank you so much, Rick, for the time. Thank you. And you all it. the best on your campaign giving out tickets this week. So. <laughs> thank you very much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Did you know... That there is a fungus among us? Currently, there are no reasons for fungi to evolve to be able to withstand higher temperatures. But what if that were to change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? Well, now there is reason to evolve.
One gene mutates, and an ascomycetia, candida, ergot, cordyceps, aspergillus, any one of them could become capable of burrowing into our brains and taking control, not of millions of us, but billions of us. Well, before you panic and start looting stores for things like toilet paper, don't fret. This is all a part of HBO's The Last of Us. It's a smash hit on TV, but it it is offered the question, could the fungi or the fungus that's featured on the show potentially cause a real real-life apocalypse. Joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Rebecca Shapiro, professor in the Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology at the College of Biological Sciences at the University of Guelph. Dr. Shapiro, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. Before we get your take on the likelihood of this sort of apocalypse ever happening, what should we know about the fungus that is profiled in the show? So the fungus in the show, as they said, is called a cordyceps, and it is a real organisms, so they haven't made it up. Um, But in real life, it's a pathogen of ants and other insects. So it causes sort of disease, kind of like they portrayed, where it controls behavior and it kind of grows out of your head, but it does not occur in humans. It's it's an ant pathogen. So we shouldn't be worried about this? No. (laughs) (laughs) Is is there other fungus, fungi that uh, is worrisome to the human population? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's what's sort of interesting about the show has sparked this conversation. And indeed, there are many species of fungi that are pathogenic or that do cause disease in humans. And um, a lot of them are becoming sort of more prevalent um, or expanding kind of their range. So there, you know, there are pathogens out there that are of concern, but we don't really have any inclination that we're going to be seeing any sort of pandemics anytime soon. So how does this, uh, I guess, infection, for lack of a better term, um, happen within a human? Uh, the, the the real ones, not the, the made-up one on the show. Correct, right. Yeah, the real ones. <laughs> right. Yeah, so there's lots of different kinds of fungal pathogens. Um, for the most part, what we find is they tend to infect people who already are vulnerable in some way, so are maybe immunocompromised, they have some other kind of underlying illness, which is why we don't necessarily talk about them as much because they're kind of found in specific communities. Um, But as those communities become increasing, like, you know, our population is aging, people are living longer with kind of compromised immune systems. Um, Even during the COVID pandemic, we saw sort of a flare-up of many Uh, We lost you there for a little bit, Dr. Shapiro. Dr. Rebecca Shapiro is a professor in the Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology at the College of Biological Sciences at the University of Guelph, studies microbial fungal pathogens and how they cause disease in humans. Are they becoming easier to identify in people that do have it? Sorry, I just got here for a second, but I'm here now. Um, Sorry, are the pathogens becoming easier to identify? Easier to identify, yeah. Yeah, uh, we've sort of already always known um, that these pathogens exist. Um, Something that's sort of critical uh, to think about these infections um, is less about kind of their identification, but about how we treat them, um, which is quite difficult, actually really more so than a lot of, you know, bacterial infections um, or other kind of kinds of infectious disease. Um, Humans and fungi are actually really remarkably similar at kind of a cellular level, Um, You know, on this kind of big evolutionary tree of life, humans and fungi are actually like neighbors. So it's there because they're so similar. When someone has a fungal infection, it's really hard to treat it to find kind of antifungal drugs that are able to kill the fungus without being harmful to the human. So that's sort of the real challenge that we face. Are, Are fungal infections becoming more prevalent? 
Yeah. So they're becoming more prevalent sort of for a couple of reasons, um, right? So one has to do with kind of an increasing population of people that are vulnerable to them. I, again, I, I think I got out before, so I'm not sure what was captured, but um, people who are, are aging or who are sick for other reasons. Uh, and I think, as it said in the clip at the beginning, uh, climate change is something that there's a lot of concern about as well, that some fungi have these sort of distinct geographical regions in which they live. Uh, and there's a lot of reason to suspect that those regions are expanding due to climate change. Uh, before we let go, we got 30 seconds. Are you a fan of the show? Have you been watching this? Oh my gosh, I haven't watched the show, which is embarrassing. <laughs> I know I should be. I've been talking about it, but I, I know what it's about. Um, it seems a little scary for me. So I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it there. If you do catch up, we'll, we'll certainly catch up with maybe your thoughts on the show itself sometime down the road. Dr. Shapiro, thanks for joining us this morning. Wonderful. Thanks so much. That is Dr. Rebecca Shapiro, professor in the Department of Molecular and Cellular Biology at the College of Biological Sciences in the University of Guelph. Pretty cool job to, to study microbial fungal pathogens and how they could cause disease in humans. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.